Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. I'm your host, Cora Tarod, and I'm coming to you from the Galilee, where my wife and I live. Today is the 74th anniversary of Israel's Independence Day. Yesterday, the nation mourned and grieved on Memorial Day, the loss of victims from terrorism and war. We thank God for sustaining Israel amidst the hostile forces that surround our nation. Today we begin the series on the days of Noah. What were those days like and how do they describe the times that we are living in now? Can understanding more about the ancient past and seeing their connection to our present age give us the ability to navigate through the difficult times that we all find ourselves in now? Jesus' Words on the Days of Noah and Lot Rabbi Yeshua speaks of the end of days to the Pharisees and his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through verse 30. He told the Pharisees, The kingdom of God is among you. Later on, he shares with his disciples the following, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. A Closer Look Most of us are familiar with the words of Rabbi Yeshua describing the days of Noah as a time of eating, drinking, and people marrying, buying, selling, and building. Yet, as I look back at Genesis and read again through the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, I find things that were hidden in plain sight And it is only now that I have started to make these historical connections to life in the 21st century. Our Religious Upbringings For many of us growing up, whether we attended a local synagogue or sat in a Sunday school classroom, we were presented with stories from the Bible that encouraged our faith and brought ancient heroes and heroines of the Bible to real life. Do you remember the biblical characters on flannel graphs that held our attention as we learned about biblical narratives? These lessons and the teachers that taught them hold a dear place in my collective memory that I often revisit from time to time with great fondness. These moments serve as the cornerstone and building blocks for my faith. Till this day, I still reminisce about my Sunday school teacher and family friend, David Simmons from New York City. He was an accomplished musician and composer who brought the Bible and its many action-packed stories to life as a little kid growing up in the Big Apple. Today's podcast is going to take those of us who grew up in a Judeo-Christian environment or those who have never been in either camp down an untraveled, unfamiliar trail and off the beaten path. For some of the listeners, today's material may be new to you 
and others may be well acquainted with the biblical account found in Genesis 6. Regardless of where you may fall along these lines, we will follow the words of the late poet Robert Frost and go down the road less traveled. Who was Noah? The story of Noah begins in Genesis 5 when Noah's father Lamech named him Noah. Noah in Hebrew is pronounced Noach, meaning both rest and comfort. His father's words were, This one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Those words by Lamech would one day ring true and be a fulfillment of prophecy as Noah and his family would survive the great flood. The Torah tells us that Noah was the only righteous and blameless man on the face of the earth during a time of unmatched and unprecedented evil. It was so evil that when we revisit God's own thoughts and words, it gives us a clear understanding of the pre-flood era. God says in Genesis 6, When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil at the time, the Lord regretted that he had made the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. A Lifetime of Extreme Longevity In the pre-flood era, mankind was living to almost a thousand years old. Methuselah, Noah's grandfather, was the oldest man recorded in the Hebrew Scriptures, living to a ripe old age of 969. Noah's father lived to 777 years old, and Noah lived to 950 years old, and was 500 when he fathered his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If mankind was living for almost a thousand years, what does that say about the world's population? It seems safe to say that there were many people alive in the then-known ancient world and pre-flood era. A World of Unthinkable Violence The pre-flood era was hallmarked with tremendous injustice and unspeakable inhumanity. Since people lived hundreds of years, evil prevailed and existed everywhere, and prolonged injustice was the order of the day, which lasted for generations and hundreds of years. God describes this horrific scene in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted their ways. Not only were men and women evil beyond measure, the animal kingdom had been affected in the very same way as mankind. The Catastrophic Flood The days of Noah was the world's first climate crisis. From the beginning of creation, there had been no rain on the earth. The earth had been saturated and watered from the ground up from the dew of the earth and was contained by a canopy over the earth called the firmament, or rakia in Hebrew. This created a gigantic global greenhouse atmosphere which sustained life and where all plants and vegetation thrived. The generation of the Great Flood had the challenge of dealing with the increasingly rising waters due to the catastrophic flood, which eventually covered the entire world. Technology and Knowledge 
The days of Noah were 1,600 years removed from the Garden of Eden. Yet, the greatest difference between the two eras were the increase in the way that technology and knowledge came into being. In the days of Noah, mankind built cities, were cattle ranchers, composed and played music, and discovered metallurgy, including how to make alloys such as brass. The metals they made were used for agricultural tools and weaponry like swords. This development of technology had its genesis with Adam's firstborn son Cain, who came ten generations before Noah. The Ways of Cain First-century Roman citizen and Jewish historian Josephus had access to ancient historical documents and manuscripts that no longer exist today. His book entitled Antiquities of the Jews support the biblical account. He gives us deep insights and extra-biblical material into the life of Cain. Josephus writes, But Cain was not only very wicked in other respects, but was wholly intent upon getting. If we look at the root word in Hebrew for Cain, that being kana or liknot, it means to buy or to get. The Torah describes the first murder in history. It happened when Cain killed his brother Abel. God punished Cain by banishing him to roam the then-known ancient world. Josephus continues to write that Cain refused to learn from his punishment. Writing about Cain, he states, For he only aimed to procure everything that was for his own bodily pleasure. Though it obliged him to be injurious to his neighbors, he augmented his household substance with much wealth and became a great leader of men in wicked courses. He also introduced a change in that way of simplicity wherein men lived before and was the author of measure and weights. And whereas they lived innocently and generously while they knew nothing of such arts, he changed the world into cunning craftiness. He first of all set boundaries about lands. He built a city and fortified it with walls and compelled his family to come together to it. The Jewish historian shows the influential and powerful effect Cain had on others. He says, Even while Adam was alive, it came to pass that the posterity of Cain became exceedingly wicked, every one successively more wicked than the former. They were intolerable in war and vehement in robberies. Yet was he bold in his wasteful behavior inciting unjustly and doing injuries for gain. The New Testament author and brother of Yeshua, Jude, or Yehuda in Hebrew, writes a strong warning about Cain. In Jude chapter 1 verse 11 he writes, Now they are in for real trouble. They have followed the way of Cain and have made the same mistake that Balaam did by caring only for money. Craftsmanship Perfected During the days of Noah, mankind had such long lifespans that they had the ability to master any skill, and nothing seemed to be out of the realm of the impossible. Unfortunately, mankind did not use their skills for the betterment of the world, but instead became the epitome of indescribable evil. 
In an article by Tim Chaffee, featured in Answers Magazine, he writes, Noah's culture was almost certainly at its industrial zenith while he worked on the ark. Since lifespans approached a thousand years, achievements of the pre-flood world's best innovators could have been remarkable. We know they were capable of building cities, making musical instruments, and working with metal. While the height of their prowess is unknown, we can be confident that they did not possess vessels other than the ark that survived the flood. And that same ark that Noah and his family survived, the great flood, in the Genesis account, has been told by over 200 different cultures throughout history, from the Messiah of Kenya to the Saisea tribe in Taiwan. The oldest known recording of a global flood is the Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh from the 18th century BC and was dated older than even Moses' writings of the Torah. The Nephilim For many of us, we have never learned about these otherworldly giants in Sunday school, Hebrew school, in our local churches and neighborhood synagogues. And many people may be unaware of the main reason why God decided to destroy the world by a great flood. It's because these hybrids, who were part man and part fallen angel, who the Bible says were from everlasting and men of renown, threatened to take over what God had originally created and sought to destroy the seed of Israel's Messiah. In Genesis 6, we read starting with verse 1, When mankind began to multiply in the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, which in Hebrew is translated, B'nai Ha'Elohim, saw that the daughters of man, or Adam, which is translated in Hebrew, Banot Ha'Adam. Continuing on, we read that they were beautiful, and they took and they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. In Hebrew, the word Nephilim means fallen ones, coming from the Hebrew word nafal, which means to fall. The Nephilim were large in stature and were powerful beings, inflicting terror, turmoil, and chaos on the then-known ancient world. The Hebrew scriptures are not the only book that references and documents the Nephilim. The intertestamental books of Enoch and Jubilees, along with others found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. The authors of the Greek Septuagint also refer to the Nephilim as gigantes in their translation. Nephilim reach the promised land. Understanding the reality of these demonic beings, known as the Nephilim, gives the readers of the Hebrew Scriptures a whole new way, insight, and perspective into the meaning of the word supernatural. The Scriptures and Israel's triumphs in their many conquests over the enemies of God and their territories can be appreciated for the true miracles that they were. The Nephilim were tyrants and bullies, and one has to believe instilled tremendous fear on their victims and possibly leaving legacies of fear for years on end. 
even after the global flood destroyed the then-known ancient world, forming a new landscape with new landmarks, valleys, and peaks, we find that some Nephilim survived and lived in the area now known as modern Israel. The story picks up in Numbers 13, verse 31, where scouts are reporting to Caleb in the presence of Moses. It says, But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't go against the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. The land was passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Jewish historian Josephus writes that during the times of Jesus, there was a display of the bones of the Nephilim. He says in a passage in one of his writings about the Israelites moving their camp to Hebron, he mentions that the Jewish people encountered the inhabitants of that land, including, and in his own words says, the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day. Before Greek Mythology Those of us who grew up in the Western world are well aware of the different names and action figures that emerged out of Greek mythology. Greek mythology gave birth to the superheroes like the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man of Marvel comic books and the ones shown on the big screen throughout the theaters and cinemas of the modern world. What we may have not known was that figures like Zeus, Thor, Apollo, and Achilles were not merely figments of someone's imagination, but most likely linked to the real Nephilim that once roamed the ancient world. The oral histories of the First Nation peoples of the United States speaks of the Native American peoples fighting giants who fit the description of the Nephilim and whose bones were between 7 and 12 feet. The New York Times published an article in 1908 about the findings in a Mexican cave containing 200 skeletons of men each over 8 feet tall and who predated the Aztecs. This article was not the only one of its kind. In the early part of the 20th century, there were many articles published about the remains of huge skeletons and large bones found in the United States. The late President Abraham Lincoln said in 1848 about the giant's bones discovered in America, The eyes of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara Falls just as our eyes do now. In an article by Dr. John Morris for the Institute of Creation and Research, he says a powerful statement on the framework and the idea of a myth. He says, Anthropologists will tell you that a myth is often the faded memory of a real event. Details may have been added, lost, or obscured in the telling and retelling, but the kernel of truth remains. When two separate cultures have the same quote-unquote myth, in their body of folklore, their ancestors must have either experienced the same event or they both descended from a common ancestral source which itself experienced the event. The only credible way 
to understand the widespread, similar flood legends is to recognize that all people living today, even those separated geographically, linguistically, and culturally, have descended from the few real people who survived a real global flood on a real boat, which eventually landed on a real mountain. Their descendants now fill the globe, never to forget the real event. The Days of Lot The book of Genesis records that many years after Noah passed, a descendant of Noah's son Shem, named Abraham, had a nephew called Lot. Lot ended up living in a place called Sodom. While living there, he met two angels at the city's gate. They were upright angels, unlike the fallen angels that were all around. The two angels wanted to stay the night in the city square, but Lot invited them to stay as his guest for a feast of unleavened bread. As they were all going to bed, the population of the city of Sodom, young and old, surrounded Lot's home, demanding the angels come outside because they wished to be with them. Lot, seeing the present danger, wanted to put his daughters outside for the men of the city. The angels stepped in and shut the door so that the men could not come in the house. They warned Lot and his family to leave Sodom because God was going to destroy the city due to its wickedness. After Lot and his family left the city, burning sulfur rained from the sky, destroying the entire city. The Hebrew Bible has given us ancient accounts of the ways of Cain and the destructive and controlling violent behavior and lifestyle he revolutionized the then-known ancient world with. We saw how the days of Lot were filled with unthinkable evil and how God had to step in to stop its evildoing and vileness. The days of Noah showed and demonstrated that technology and craftsmanship were mastered with the longevity of life. 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a proclaimer of righteousness, and seven others, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story, when I'll be sharing on how the ways of Cain, days of Lot, and the days of Noah have specifically returned to our present world. See you soon.